Hi everyone, welcome to the Stay Hungry podcast. Today we're talking about Facebook's ads aren't dead and I've got a very special guest for you, Neil Shoney Mack. Thanks. I literally just warned you I was going to do that as well. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I just let it run. No, it's the best. It's the best. These are the ones. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for having me, my man. (laughs) You're welcome. You're welcome. Um, I'm really hyped to have you on the podcast. Really hyped. um, I should give some context for the listeners. In my eyes, and I always think I'm pretty good on this, you're one of the world's leading experts on on facebook ads and you're on my podcast so much so i appreciate it and uh yeah like we've become friends you're one of my mentors it's uh it's wild and now you're on my podcast it's i'm I'm really i'm like fanboy and it's really weird so i'm buzzing i i had a great time with you the the first time we got to catch up in person like that that was brilliant it was so much fun and uh we'll get through do it again very soon as well yeah, which is yeah. fantastic yeah it's insane it's it's like I, i've had i've got other mentors you know there's other people that i've met over zoom and yeah and sometimes when you get together it can be like this is actually a bit awkward and uh yeah like you gave me a hug the first time we met and you're like this is all the team come and join us and then we, did, <laughs> then we were like either eating or drinking for the next two days so it was Love it. <laughs> Good. So, um, for the benefit of the uninitiated, just let us know who you are. Okay. Um, so, I'm Neil Shoney Mack, uh, business owner long before I was a marketer, sort of fell into this. Uh, I, I used to run big fitness exhibitions in Glasgow when I first graduated from university, not doing anything about marketing or business there either. And um, yeah, I got that big kick in the balls that everybody gets when they go into business for the first time, which is you think, oh, my, my amazing ideas in my head, everybody's just going to want to sign up for this because isn't it just original and beautiful and amazing? And then you realize that uh, you actually need to be really good at business overall and marketing to be able to get people to buy even things that are relatively good in the marketplace. And uh, we weren't selling anything (laughs) because I didn't know anything about marketing. So I had to very quickly learn uh, organic. So organic social at the time was actually pretty good. This was like eight, nine years ago, by the way. Sure. Um, so organic social was actually pretty good. Uh, email marketing and the final part was Facebook ads. And the reason that I moved into Facebook ads, even at the early stage of business, when we had like no money at all, really, was purely because you could see money in versus money out. You've got that dashboard and uh, it used to it used to be very accurate with, yeah. uh, with what you would see on there back in the day as well. So... It was an easy way for us to acquire new uh, new people signing up for, for tickets and different things like that. Specifically, um, when we could see the money in versus money out, we just knew that we at least weren't losing money. So if we were breaking even or better and getting as many people as possible to the event, we would have a second year, third year, fourth year, et cetera. That took us up to the fourth year. And then I actually sold the event. It's ran, uh, I think it's ran once since, but then COVID hit. So event industry obviously bombed, but they're coming back next year. So it still runs um, without me since we've sold it. I moved into the the Facebook ad side of things through word of mouth. 
somebody phoned me once and uh, this was actually only in my second year of the original business and it was a friend of one of the exhibitors at our event and he phoned me up and he said um, Johnny says you're the guy to come to to run a Facebook ad campaign we've got a new gym opening we'd love it if you would uh, run our Facebook ads and um, I originally actually said no because I was like, I'm totally fine risking my own money. I've got no clue about, you know, running somebody else's Facebook ads. I thought I, in my head, I was like, I bet I can get the result, but I don't want to risk it in case it doesn't happen. And then that night, my girlfriend at the time broke down in tears in front of me. Yeah, I think you've heard this story. Yeah. Uh, broke down in tears in front of me. Um, and it turned out it was actually because she... I hadn't seen her family in months. She's from New York. She was studying in Glasgow. That's how we met. And uh, she hadn't seen her, her family in months. She's very close to her family. So I essentially uh, thought to myself, right, well, what, what I'll do here is I'll price up what it would cost to fly out there, take Adriana there um, for Christmas, um, anything like accommodation, fun stuff, whatever, and price that up. And then I'll basically quote that to them. And if they say yes, then we've solved two problems. If they say no, then, you know, then we just go down the route that we, we were expecting to go, which is not to go into marketing uh, consulting and things like that. They ended up saying yes to it. Um, and that led to our first ever client being a £4,000 ad spend and £297,866 back in membership sales before their doors had even opened. Word of mouth, as you can imagine, led to an oversubscribed business quickly that turned into, can you just teach us how to do it? If you can't take us on that moved us into coaching. And here we are today, uh, coaching and mentoring uh, people like yourself, of course, but many other uh, coaches and consultants in different spaces as well. Amazing. Amazing. So uh, weird admission for you here. Um, I used to work in the events industry. I didn't have a background in marketing <laughs> and I work in marketing. And I'm married to an Italian. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Yeah, the, the event industry forces you to get very good very quickly at marketing because you have to have a lot of people coming through doors. And it's easier said than done to sell even £17.50 tickets. You might think it's very easy, but when you take into account that that person has to uh, block out their day has to make sure everybody else that they want to go with can actually attend as well. They need to coordinate who's buying the tickets. Then they need travel. Then they need possibly even hotels and stuff. It becomes a very difficult task to sell multiple thousands of tickets for uh, for events. So yeah, you learn pretty quickly that you need to be in the sort of top five percent of marketers, I would say, um, to just survive yeah, in the events industry. It's brutal. And then. Weird fact, just to prove I've done my research, we've both met Eddie Hall, and uh, he actually lives around the corner from me. So that's oh, yeah. <laughs> Eddie's great. Yeah, we, we got him to our event. I think it was three years. It might have been four years in a row. Um, and, yeah, he was amazing. Like, we, we got him to our, our, our second event, sorry. Um, and at that point, I don't think he'd actually made it to... Uh, the final of world's strongest man, yeah, at that point. But he was like one of the, like the up and comers. He was um, already British champion, and we brought him up. And then the the testament to his character with this story here is that he went on to win the world's strongest man within about two years of that, 
And we had him even two years after he was already world's strongest man, had a much bigger platform. People just fell at his feet. um, And he never adjusted his, his fees once. He was like, you supported me in the early days when other people didn't. So I'm going to support you as we move through for as long as you want to be booking me. So he didn't adjust his prices once over those That's years. Amazing. amazing. His story is amazing as well. I mean, it's crazy in terms of like used to work in a dairy, self-funded, bet his life on becoming, uh, well, bet his life on becoming, becoming the first person to deadlift 500 kilos. And yeah. Gambled on himself in order to fund himself to become world's strongest man, which is, just yeah it's, it's bonkers and also like it, when you see him when he was a swimmer when he was like 13 yeah he's, he's about four sizes four sizes of the man that i am today <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> yeah it wasn't he didn't he wasn't really good at swimming because because he was uh a great swimmer it's just because he's the length of the pool so, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, but in all fairness, like he gives it the big one, and he, he's kind of like this big scary guy. But when you meet him, he's the most polite man ever. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. He's absolutely lovely. Anyway, we digress. So that happens yeah. a lot on this podcast. Um, and mine, as you probably noticed. Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. So, so, um, why would people think Facebook ads might be dead? And why aren't they? Probably the main reason why people think Facebook ads are dead is actually because of their own experience. Mm-hmm. You know, most people will either just go and take a whack at it themselves, uh, or they will have Facebook send them a notification about a post that is doing 95% better than any other post that they've put out in the last three months and they should boost it. And then they didn't get any clients off the back of it. Mm-hmm. Or maybe they even went a step further and actually did some research so that maybe they went on YouTube, watched some videos. Maybe they even signed up to a course. Now, all the courses out there are very good. We, we notice that plenty of times with the people that come to us. You know, We might be their, their third or fourth course. Uh-huh. There's a lot of people that come through our free five-day ads bootcamp and say it's better than the 997 courses that they bought. You know, yeah. so there's a lot of people who have actually invested in Facebook ads training and then they've actually gone and ran ads the way that they've been told to run them. Don't make them successful uh, out of the gates and they don't have thousands of pounds to burn. So they don't have time to uh, to test. They don't have time to adjust. They don't have time to, to see the, the return in the long term. They have to have that immediate return. And so... For most people, they're going in completely blind Mm. to how to run Facebook ads successfully. And they're needing that ROI really quickly off of a broken foundation. So that's probably the reason that most people um, will say that Facebook ads are dead is basically just because of their own experience rather than the chat around that. There's some people with that. Um, I was actually speaking to somebody else who's who's in the group with you. Um, I was speaking to him yesterday, and he's in another mastermind as well. And he's like, the weirdest thing is, he was like, everything we've done with ads thus far has been wildly profitable and successful. But he's like, in the other mastermind, they almost like, they, they're just always talking about ads, but always talking about it from a negative standpoint as to why would you do them? They definitely don't work in this industry. You know, it's impossible to make them work these days. They're far too expensive. And he's like, I'm sitting there and I've just like, I'm just like folding my arms and just not saying anything hmm. because I'm like, well, I'm running Facebook ads and they're really successful. 
and I'm in the same industry as all of you. And so for the most part, I tend to find that most people who say Facebook ads don't work is somebody who has actively tried to run Facebook ads and it didn't work the first time. Yeah. And then they've just said, no, it doesn't work anymore. That's it. Done. Yeah, that, that's huge. I mean, I, I'm in three masterminds and I've got the same experience. Two of the masterminds I go to, are, especially face, Facebook's an easy, easy one to bash because it gets bashed by the media and uh, with the kind of Apple iOS changes this year as well it's kind of compounded it. So now people are like, yeah, yeah, you could do it for 10p a click five years ago, but now it's a pound a click. And and like, I'm like, a pound a click still good. What are you talking about? So, <laughs> yeah, have you, have you ran advertising on any other platforms yeah. and looked at the price per click there? Yeah, yeah, I get yeah. It. And like, I think, you know, other, other famous people in our circle talk about it being the most underpriced ad platform available. It, it 100% is. I mean... I I love other ad platforms. Mm-hmm. Like I love Google search and I love YouTube ads because of the same functionality of being able to only show videos to people who have searched something very specific on YouTube. I love that. But the the cost per opt-in on Facebook is typically for me an absolute fraction of the other platforms. And it's not to say that that's therefore the only place that I'd advertise because I think there's pros and cons to that. I think there's a big pro to the quality of person that comes through a Google search ad or a YouTube ad because they are literally trying to solve that problem in that second. So maybe I would spend, you know, let's say eight bucks on that person. But over on Facebook, I might spend two pounds to acquire that opt-in over there so it's a lot less and a lot of people would go well we'll just throw all of our money in there but i like the balance i like the balance of having the people that are coming in at a fraction of the cost but probably will take more nurturing and then having those people over there that you could basically put a book a call in front of them and they'd probably you know go ahead and book it yeah yeah definitely that's that's something something we do that we know leads through google leads through linkedin are going to cost us a lot more but generally they they might be a bit closer to the to the point of sale, and our Facebook ads need a little bit more nurturing. But then there's things we can do on Facebook that we can't do on Google and LinkedIn. So, I guess for people listening, what can you do on Facebook that always surprises people? Well, on, on Facebook, I mean the the lead form side of things is is really exceptional. I mean there. There's pros and cons to basically everything with advertising between the different platforms and also the things within each of the platforms. There's pros and cons to doing everything, right? So if we said Facebook lead ads, for example, so Facebook lead ads are incredible because, first of all, whenever somebody clicks on a link on your Facebook ad, a percentage of them are never going to see the page, right? Some of them will literally click away before the page is fully loaded. Mm -hmm. So if you look at your ads dashboard, if you've ever run ads in the past, if you're not running them anymore, go and take a look at uh, link clicks versus landing page views. It'll be a different number, okay? So we automatically actually lose a percentage of our interested parties right away, okay? With Facebook lead ads, we're keeping people on Facebook and there is no load time for the lead form that pops up immediately in front of them when they click the, the link or the button. Okay, so that means that that 10, 20, if you've got a slow running website, could even be 40% uh, that drop off, that's eliminated right away. The second thing is when somebody lands on your website and they have the opportunity to submit their name and email address, 
they have to type that in. And we know that uh, in a world in which we're looking for them rather than they are looking for us, so Facebook ads, um, a lot of people, even if they're interested, don't really want to type their name and email address into any boxes, right? So then we get a drop off there. But with Facebook lead ads, it's already filled in because they know the person's name, they know that person's email address. And that used to be a problem because of the type of email addresses that were in there. But uh, now that Facebook is so stringent on identity confirmation and different things, the quality of the email addresses from the strategy are significantly better than they used to be. And then from there, it means that the, the overall cost per lead that comes in is usually significantly lower. So we only need to focus on one thing, you know, is the Facebook ad, uh, is the Facebook ad, you know, worthy of stopping the scroll, getting that person interested in submitting the form. Whereas with normal Facebook ads, where you'd send somebody to a landing page, you have to get the Facebook ads right, but you also really need to tweak and optimize the yeah. landing page as well. So there's two different things that can break that Facebook ad. Whereas with Facebook lead ads, for the most part, there's not even too much that you can optimize with the the lead form itself <laughs> basically how you how you position how you use their data is about as um as far as you can go on the front end of that opt-in <laughs> yeah. to, to optimize it any further um so that for instance is uh, is something that i think is incredible with uh, with facebook i know you can do it on linkedin it doesn't look as good on linkedin in my opinion at all not even the button looks as good on linkedin um, you can do that in a sense on uh, on youtube as well but again it does a drop down and it doesn't look as good and it sort of confuses people into it. Whereas on Facebook, it's just really optimized. I mean, Facebook lead ads have been there for years. It just used to be terrible. Um, but now, now they're now they're really good. Um, so, I mean, that, that would be one thing that I would say is is better about Facebook than, than most other platforms. I would say uh, further to that, their ability to find the people that uh, you want the result of is significantly higher than other platforms the other platforms i tend to find that it is almost solely down to you to uh, really specify who it is that you're looking for and optimize for it whereas with facebook sometimes we can even go super broad like we can literally just target everybody in the uk and ireland and sometimes especially if you're in a broad niche you know something that's like weight loss or something like that um that can absolutely fly like Facebook just have so many data points on everybody there. They quickly know what your advert's about. Like if you've ever gone into the inspect bar on uh, um, Google Chrome, when you're setting up a Facebook ad, it's actually funny. The image that you upload, they instantly turn it into actual code of what's written on there or what they think is on that image, right? So even from the image that you upload, there's colors that they know people react better to there's certain types of images that are inside there like certain types of people etc then there's the written words so if i say like five day challenge they're probably going to find people that have reacted well to five day challenges before because there's no shortage of them <laughs> right so you know they're they're going to find more people like that so from, from my standpoint with facebook as long as we test broadly on the front end, give them plenty to work with. Facebook are exceptional at going and getting us the result that we're looking for. And then probably the final thing that's better with Facebook over the other platforms that are out there is the cost per lead. 
And so if your marketing is actually optimized, right? So that means not just running an ad to grow your email list. You've probably heard that a million times. Uh, yeah, so I think that we should run a campaign to grow the email list. Not, uh, well, let's grow the email list, but then let's turn some of them into book calls and let's turn some of them into sales and let's monetize our ad spend on the front end. Uh, if you've actually got the systems on the back end for your ads so that you can monetize it relatively quickly, sometimes instantly, then uh, you know Facebook ads is an incredible place to be picking up such low-cost leads comparable to other platforms. Yeah, amazing. That's, I mean... That was a detailed answer for one. <laughs> Take a breath. <laughs> but, um, I, I think you, you've absolutely nailed it there that, that people just don't realize, one, what Facebook can do, uh, and two, how much data it has access to and how smart it is. So the, the example you use there of when you get it to inspect, when you use the inspect tool to look at what it's done with an image, it's actually scary to the point of yeah. a picture of someone, it'll be like blue eyes, beard, nose, mouth. It knows so much. And yeah. it's crazy. On the other side of that, what are the common mistakes you see people make with Facebook ads, which is what's turning them away from Facebook? So the the number one, well, actually, so two big things that I see go really wrong with people's Facebook ads is number one, they run what I would call like a one, one, one campaign, mm -hmm. which is essentially that, you know, they've graduated from the boost button. They've been told, stop using the boost button. You need to go into Facebook ads manager. They might even have followed a video with it. And they've gone through that sort of seven steps of setting up a Facebook ad that Facebook really detail, make it really easy to follow. But if you're doing it from scratch, we'd probably take somebody about 45 minutes, right? So they're setting up a campaign. Maybe it's their first campaign on, on Facebook ads platform, probably about 45 minutes to go from that create ad button through to publish. But unfortunately, on the other side of that, they realistically have just one campaign. They have one audience or ad set, you know, ad set really, but for easiness of understanding audience, and then one ad. And for easiness of understanding, that's what you see in your newsfeed. So the image, the written word, the button, all that stuff. Okay. For that to be successful, you have to hope that you have the perfect image with the perf perfect piece of copy, possibly even the, the right button text chosen. <laughs> then you have to hope that it is the right audience that you've chosen to go after. And then you have to hope that all of that plays in together so that that audience resonates with that image that resonates with that piece of copy that resonates with that button text, right? Even in my sort of eight years plus of running Facebook ads continuously every day and being across multiple accounts, if I was running ads like the majority of people were trying to run ads themselves, I would fail about 50% of the time because it's a best guess. That's all it is. So it's my best guess of who to target. It's my best guess of what the perfect image would be. It's my best guess of what the written word should be alongside the, the advert, you know? And the, the easy way to solve this is by simply testing in a much broader sense. You know that we do the Shoney 255 method, which I won't go into too much detail on here, um, but quite simply, it would be running two campaigns instead of one. Instantly, you've doubled your chances of success. So you've got one that's for people who know who you are and one for people who don't know who you are. So that's basically you know people who have engaged with your Facebook, your Instagram, your website, your videos, et cetera. Other people are people who have interests, 
that are around what it is that you do, but they haven't heard of you before. So we're looking for brand new people. So instantly we've doubled the chances of Facebook finding a successful campaign here. Inside there, the five is five different audiences. I would say five ad sets, but it depends on who's listening, right? So, um, so five different ad sets, but essentially we're putting one audience in each of these ad sets. Why do we not bundle them together? Because if we put five audiences all into one ad set, you might actually see that one of those interests is responsible for 15 pound ads, uh, for 15 pound opt-ins. And then another interest in there is actually responsible for one pound 20 opt-ins. And if we don't split these out, we've got no control over this and we can't optimize our ads for the audiences that are getting us the best results, okay? But by going that far detailed, we've now opened up multiple ways from both campaigns for Facebook to get it right because we're giving them multiple audiences to run through and we're only going to keep the ones on that are highly performing. Then inside those, we give them multiple ads, Okay, so we're not just saying, hey, here's multiple audiences, find which one converts the best. We're also saying for each of these audiences, here's a few different images and a couple of pieces of copy to mess around with and see what works best. By simply testing broadly like that, we don't have to increase the ad budget significantly anyway. It can be pretty much what you were going to kick off with uh, on your original campaign that you maybe set up back in the day. But Facebook is going to very quickly spread the bets see what's working and start to optimize uh, towards where the lowest cost per lead is coming in. There's a little bit of handiwork that we have to do on top of it because Facebook isn't perfect by any means at optimizing for the lowest cost leads, or they might even optimize for the lowest cost leads, but you might know that um, there's a little bit more value in one of the audiences. So you want to optimize further for that one right there. So there's a bit of handiwork that we need to do on the back end but it really comes down to testing broadly. With that simple system that I'm saying there, by the way, remember I said it will take about 45 minutes to set up a 111 campaign. It takes about an extra 20 minutes to set up the whole 255 method because there's something beautiful called the duplicate button. So we're not setting up things from scratch all the time. We're just changing one thing, publishing, moving on. The second thing that people get wrong all the time, and especially in the coaching and consultant space, but I'm sure this is rife, um, across the board. Um, well, I know it to be rife across the board um, in terms of offers, but in coaching and consulting, it's very specifically, people are trying to sell complete strangers into a boot call. So yeah. they're just trying to, you know, you've never heard of me before, but here's why you want to jump on a 30 minute strategy session with me. That's going to be really valuable for you clearly going to be a sales call, no context behind it. Nobody knows who you are. They now just think you're scamming them from the word go. And what that ends up with is a really high cost per boot call. Most people don't turn up to that call. And the ones who turn up usually don't even know why they're there. But if they if they know why they're there, then they'll make every excuse in the book not to get their credit card out because they literally have just found out about you. It's as much of a learning experience for them about who you are on that call as anything else. We want to actually send them to a stepping stone towards the uh, towards the call if you're in the coaching and consulting space. So that would be uh, sending them to a lead magnet where they can get some information from you. They can see your methods. They can see the proof of what you can do in terms of results. They can see um, why you're a perfect fit to work together. They can see um, your they can become product aware. You know all of those things before actually booking that call. And we tend to find that in that space specifically, 
by doing that or running a free challenge or running even a paid challenge or multiple things that you can do as that stepping stone, we tend to find that you actually end up with a lower cost per boot call, not just opt-in. So a lower cost per boot call because of that context that you've set there, but then you'll have a significantly higher percentage of those people turn up to those calls and an even higher percentage uh, book it, uh, making a purchase on the other side of it as well. So those are those are the two big things that, that people typically get wrong is testing in a very linear, it either works or it doesn't work way, not testing broadly and allowing Facebook to find the winners within. And then second of all, having the completely wrong offer. So the offer that uh, like we're, we're putting in front of the prospect is just far too straight for the jugular. Um, yeah. We're not giving them any time to warm up to us before buying something uh, at a significant price. That's So you just summarized the entire reason why I work with you. So, so for, for, <laughs> for context, um, I, I'm pretty good at ads. Um, it's my job to be pretty good at ads. I've got experts in our team that do ads. I'm a published author on ads. And yeah, I went to uh, a virtual conference and I hate virtual conferences just to, just to put that out there. I really struggled to look at three <laughs> for three days. It's, it's hard. And um, I think, I think you were, around about in the middle of your presentation and uh, uh and and uh, full disclosure i didn't know who you were at the time and you you presented the shoney 255 method and within five minutes i was like shit this is this is good this uh, you know I, i've I've been on every Facebook ads training course. I've run Facebook ads training courses. I know people who are respected by Facebook themselves. And I, yeah, I was like, if, if you're, if you're looking to try and do this yourself and you want to learn how to do it in a way that you're, you're going to see a return, this is it. And that, I guess that's the highest praise I can, I can give you if people are <laughs> listening to this you're not going to find a better way you're just not like i've tried i've been there it's i've done the work for you so don't do it it's it's <laughs> it's um yeah it was eye-opening and you know we've got people in in our team that i pay to be better than me at facebook ads and it was eye-opening for them as well so love it so if you're a coach or a consultant and you need to build your business what's your next best step <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I would say it would be very dependent upon, uh, first of all, uh, where you are in your business. So are you launching your first product? Uh, are you uh, working with your first handful of clients? Or are you already at a significant level of scale um, and going to the next part? Uh, and then second of all is your products and prices. So it sort of depends upon, um, are you trying to fill some some, um, you know, automated group with people coming in at, you know, 25 bucks a month or something like that. Or are you actually trying to sell to way less people, but selling, you know, 2000 pound, 3000 pound, maybe even 10,000 pound, uh, programs, courses, consultancy, whatever it may be. Uh, so there's a little bit of a, it depends in there as much as I hate that as a, uh, a, as an answer in the digital marketing space, because I think it's what everybody else does to every yeah. single question out there. Uh, it definitely depends. Yeah. Um, but in this context, it actually sort of does. Uh, if you are in that early stages, what I would say is your number one thing is to 
take the step back and not go gung-ho into uh, acquiring clients. Instead, nail your product and your prices first. You don't want to have to tweak things to death on the other side of it. You want to just get your your product to a point in which it's a no-brainer to your target market, right? Whether it's low price or high price, that's almost irrelevant here. Is it a no-brainer to somebody who really needs the support, okay? So once you've got those products and prices absolutely nailed, the second thing that I would suggest that you do is actually just start getting out there right away. As in like, if you plan on launching your first product three months down the line from now, go and put out your first Instagram, Facebook, possibly even LinkedIn post today. Just start doing it. It's exactly what I did when I knew I was going into the coaching and consulting space. Uh, not, Not the coaching and consulting, the coaching space. I was already doing consulting. Nobody even knew I was doing consulting. It was just running on word of mouth for years. Um, And when people started asking me about doing coaching, um, I was like, oh, I'm going to have to create a product here. But I knew the product wouldn't be ready for a wee while. So I just started building up the audience, right? So I just started talking about Facebook ads and talking about social media and talking about email marketing um, and everything in between. So start doing that so that when it gets to the point in which you're launching, you're not having to start building a community. The community is already there and it's going to make it a million times easier to sell. Then at the point in which you're ready to sell, that is when you can start your uh, your offer, if you will. I would, if you're actually at the starting stage, I would probably position it as a beta test offer, case study offer for a small number of people, give them a no brainer in terms of still get payment. Don't do it for free, but uh, make it a no brainer. So maybe it's a three month package. They're going to get six months, or maybe it's going to be a 2,500 pound program. They're going to get it for 997. If they're in the first 10, get those first beta testers in there in a paid format uh, so that you can go in, use their results, but also get some cash in the bank to prove the concept. If you're already established, then what you're really looking for here is not just a launch plan. You're looking for a repeatable, profitable, and scalable system. And the biggest difference between people who are earning below six figures in the coaching and consulting space and those who are making more than six figures in the coaching and consulting space is actually the amount of marketing activities that they do. And it's the opposite of what you think I'm telling you right now. So the ones who are doing significantly more than six figures are typically doing less marketing activities, but doing them on a whole different level of scale than you are on any of your marketing activities. Most people who are struggling to get by are trying to do about 25 different things at once, not optimizing any of them, skimming over them, and basically throwing them in the bin if they don't work immediately. Whereas the ones who are doing really, really great stuff in terms of um, amount of clients onboarded, um, the revenue within the business, et cetera, the ones who are doing that are typically only focusing on maximum four to seven strategies, maximum, um, but they're really scaling them. They've found that one system that works really well with Facebook ads, possibly uh, the same system or maybe something slightly different that works on other advertising platforms. They've worked out the exact system for how to get somebody from a cold DM into a call. And now they possibly even have other people controlling that to be able to do more conversations started per day. Okay. So they're not looking to, to launch 25 different things. They're looking to focus on, you know, four to seven ways that they generate a client and then to go all in on them and scale them to the moon. My assistant sat on the other side of the screen and she's just looked at me as if to say, oh, that's why I'm here. 
<laughs> she's uh she's been dming a lot of potential podcast guests recently so love she it she gets it she gets it yeah i mean that that's massive isn't it in terms of i think particularly when you're in kind of uh owner managed business mindset you try and do a bit of everything because you think it's what you should be doing and um and what happens, something I talk about a lot in terms of the, the stay hungry mentality in our podcast is rather than doubling down on what works, people put what works to one side because it works and they try and fix everything else. And actually, yeah. six figure, seven figure businesses do the opposite of that. Yeah, 100%. And I mean, it it's never been more telling for me than something that I used to talk about a lot back at the start of the coaching space um, was our Instagram poll method, which I think basically everybody knows about now. But back then, I had never heard of anybody speak about it. Every time I spoke to like an audience, it was like the first time they'd heard it. So I think we were definitely one of the first to discover this as a great way to generate conversations and, and very quick sales um, was quite simply to do an Instagram and Facebook poll that is around a question in which both answers would qualify the person as a potential client and then to reach out to them and thank them for engaging with the poll, highlight that you saw what their answer was and then ask them an open-ended question to start that conversation. Then go from their goals, what have you tried, get them on a call and make a sale. And uh, I used to present this all over the place whenever I would do speaking gigs. I would tell people to do it in the room. So I'd be like, right, get your phone out. We're going to do an Instagram poll. Just take a selfie. And then, for instance, if you're in the fitness space, you might say something like, what do you struggle more with, losing weight or building muscle? Right. And then uh, and then I'd say, give it an hour and then message every single person. Um, and you're basically doing one of two copy and paste here. So it's either I noticed that you said building muscle that you're struggling with. What do you think it might be that's holding you back from achieving that goal? And then the other one would, of course, be regarding weight loss. Take that conversation, get the call, get the sale, et cetera. Right. And I used to get so many incredible stories come my way off the back of any time I presented that with the money that would be made in the room before lunchtime, et cetera. We did an event in in Glasgow pre-pandemic, of course. Um, and I presented this in the room there. And I said, everybody do this right now. Um, and somebody by lunchtime, she had a very expensive product, to be honest, right? It was a £5,000 product, but she had made that £5,000 by lunchtime, right? From one Instagram poll, right? Now, the crazy thing is, there is a... An insane amount of people have told me afterwards that this worked incredibly well for them. They got multiple clients off of this really simple strategy. And if I followed up with them afterwards, or maybe they're even in our coaching programs, maybe they they saw it inside our trainings, did it. They're like, wow, that worked. I got clients right away. Most people don't go and repeat it. So it's like, so that's done, right? What's the next thing that I'm going to do instead? Instead of going, how can I do an Instagram poll every single day with a different uh, style of question and then start conversations with new people who haven't engaged with the the prior polls, Mm. you know? So the the mentality here should be, it's okay to do um, a little bit of trial and error when you're finding your feet and finding what the strategies are going to be for you that are going to be so highly effective But once you start to see success with them, it should be, how can I optimize this so that I I get more bang for my buck? 
and that's um, relative to time and effort and things like that as well. And then how can I scale it? How can I get more people to go through this every day, every week, every month, et cetera, rather than what's the next thing that I can go and discover here? Yeah, I've described that on the podcast before that um, some people are more afraid of success than they are of failure. So uh, success means change and people are scared of change where failure means things stay the same, but they just don't realize that that's what they're doing. Yeah, yeah. And a lot of people will actually avoid the very tasks that they know success is on the other side of because there's actually a fear within it of, well, if it doesn't end up successful, then I have to have that feeling of I failed. Mm. Like we spoke about it um, recently just on the podcast, as as you'll know, and it was along the lines of um, everybody has heard in a million different sales books before that like the number one thing with sales is follow-up, right? It's just like all the money's in the follow-up. It's been said a trillion times over. And most people know it. If I was to say to a room of people who were, you know, in business, what's the number one rule of sales? I bet loads of people put their hand up and they'd say, the money's all in the follow-up. They've heard it so many times, right? But most people don't. But why don't they do it? It's because it's better to think that person might become a client further down the line and to have a little bit of hope there than it is to actually go and ask them if anything's changed, if they're ready to take action in case they get that no that seems a lot worse. But in both instances, you've got no money in the bank, like nothing's happening. But if you go and follow up with 20 people, you might get 16 no's, but you might just acquire four customers, right? So it's that thing... A lot of the time, people are avoiding the very things that they should be doing because of how it's going to feel if it doesn't go to plan. But you've just got to get out there and do it. Yeah. So we're, we're doing a lot of sales training here at the moment, uh, myself, Andy, and some of the team, and which we're teaching ourselves that the failure in sales is, is leaving the door open, staying on the maybe, and actually yeah. getting a decision is a success, whether that's a yes or a no. And that's... That's a really tricky thing to come to terms with in business. But actually, if you get a no, great. You can concentrate your time on on another lead. Uh, A maybe drains everybody. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, 100%. So, yeah. Can you send it in an email? No, I bloody can't. Decide now. (laughs) So, you've been an awesome guest. You've provided a whole ruck of value in there. A question I ask every guest, and I think you'll be into it. What's your favorite film and why? My favorite film? Oh, man. I have so many films and TV shows that I'm into. You're not allowed to say billions. It's a TV show. I know. That, that's, that's the downside here. I mean, in, in the film side, something that I've watched probably at least 20 times, and it's still relatively new to be able to say that I've watched it 20 times, is War Dogs. Oh, okay. I absolutely love War Dogs. It's it's both just an incredible story. It's 100%, well, I say 100%, it's relatively true, true story as well, based on a true story. Um, and then at the same time, it's just like, it's just funny as well. Like the, the characters, the way that they um, develop the characters and everything, the laugh that that guy has, like it's just, it's an incredible film. Yeah, it, I can't remember... There's a Nicolas Cage film that's quite similar that's about arms dealing. 
and it's kind of like Wolf of Wall Street meets that. It's that like nice. It's insane in terms of what these guys actually achieved out of nowhere and the people that they persuaded <laughs> along yeah. the way. So. Exactly. I mean, the the sheer fact that they could find out how to do what they did was was like the incredible thing. First and foremost, the the second thing being that they actually went and did it and ended up in Jordan. Yeah. Like they they went over to Jordan and then what was it? They uh, crossed the border into into Iraq. into Iraq. Yeah, and it's like they went through what what's known as the Triangle of Death. That like they they fleed. Um, they flee the Taliban, I, I believe. Yeah, yeah. Um, they went through the oh, death with more arms than the American army had in Iraq at the time. It was like, yeah, yeah. wild, bonkers. We've not had that answer before. That's a good one. So nice. Um, yeah. Probably the most valuable thing I brought brought to the podcast. No way, no way. <laughs> Can't have that. And last but not least, how can people contact you? Uh, just reach out to me on Instagram. You, well, you can go to Instagram just because I share um, share stuff there every single day for uh, Facebook ads, lead generation in general, um, email marketing, social media, the whole shebang. Uh, so at Neil Shoney Mac, it looks like Neil's honey. It isn't Neil's honey. Um, Neil Shoney Mac, all one word. Uh, and feel free to to reach out to me. I always come back with voice notes, so feel free to send me a voice note um, and we can go back and forth. There's two things there. One, I've never noticed it looks like Neil's honey, and now I'll never unsee that. <laughs> Two, I've never sent you a voice note in the DMs. I might do that. So. Yeah, we go we go back and forth on voice notes on Voxer though, so yeah, uh, we, yeah, we've, big, definitely, we've definitely ticked that box. Big time at the moment, yeah. So. <laughs> Neil, you've been an awesome guest. Thanks so much for coming on. Thank you so much for having me, man.